Let us pray. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may catch a vision of your will for our lives and for the church. Open our ears, Lord, that we may hear what it is that you want to say to us personally tonight. And open my mouth, Lord, that I may speak your truth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I've had various cars through the years. My first car was an escort van, and I bought it before I passed my driving test, and uh, it was a lovely car. I hand-painted it. Uh, (laughs) It had so much rust on it that uh, it had to be sanded down and then hand-painted, and uh, I can remember the build-up to passing my test, and uh, uh, just to that moment afterwards, my dad helping me to rebuild the engine, which is very worrying because he'd never done it before, and neither had I. And I can remember having all the parts all on the kitchen table, much to my mum's horror, and us trying to put it back together when we were doing the cylinders and things like that. That was my first car. Uh, I have had various other cars, including... Uh, One which uh, was a a Volkswagen that whenever you stopped at uh, uh, traffic lights, the bonnet used to pop up and you used to have to go out and sit sit on the bonnet again. I had uh, a blue Escort uh, which was given to me by my grandmother when we had no money when we were at college. And uh, she gave it to us, which was lovely, except it was sky blue, uh, really bright colour. But we loved the car. And we gave it to my brother when he had no money, when we'd finished with it. And he flogged it for a fortune because he'd got, got the number plate Duff uh, on the front. And he managed to get a lot of money, which I wasn't very happy about because he made quite a profit on it. Um, I had another car, which was a sports car, when I worked in uh, the city of London, which was a lovely car which I got on the back of a deal that I did once. And uh, I gave it, sold it to a friend. And the day after I sold it to them, it burst into flames, which I felt very guilty about. It was nothing to do with me. Apparently he'd done some tinkering with it, and uh, he had it for one day before it was written off. But uh, So I have a mixed experience when it comes to cars. And these days... Uh, The cars that I have uh, are usually under warranty and go back to the main dealership. And I don't have to tinker with them in the way that I used to have to. And I've had a mixed experience with car showrooms and car uh, service departments when I've taken the car back. Uh, Sometimes you've come out and the car goes in and it comes out and it just goes so much better. Smoother, you can tell it's been to the garage. On other occasions, I haven't had that experience. In one occasion, I went to pick up the car, and I got into the car, and it wouldn't start, whereas it worked before I took it in to actually be done. On another occasion, my father, who had, he was very suspicious about uh, car dealers, and uh, he, when the car came out, he checked it, and he'd put little bits of white paint on certain parts that were supposed to be changed in the service and found that they hadn't actually changed any of the parts and yet charged him for new ones, which uh, uh, was a bit of a scam that was going on. And really, you can tell a good dealer and service department cars because they pay attention 
to the detail. There's not sloppy workmanship or deceitful workmanship. It's done well. And uh, as I say, uh, you can usually tell by the evidence afterwards whether actually the vehicle's running properly and you're getting the most out of it. Some workmen are diligent and zealous. Others are careless, sloppy, and possibly deceitful. Well, imagine uh, what the owner of approved dealership feels like when they find out that the people working for them haven't done a good job. They've been entrusted. They're approved dealers. They've trusted these workmen to do the job. They want their customers to be happy. What that must that owner feel like when he finds out that something's been going on that shouldn't have been going on? And then I want us to think about our God. I wonder how God feels when he has reports, well, he knows anyway, that those who've been handling the word of God have been doing so in a sloppy fashion or in a deceitful way. They've been careless and haven't paid attention in the way that they should. Now, fortunately, our God is a loving and forgiving God, and we can, when we've made mistakes, we can go to him because of what Jesus has done for us. But there is, I think, a challenge to us in the church and as individuals to say, God wants his workers to be approved. For people to trust us in what we do. That actually when we are serving them, we are giving them something which will be for their benefit, that will keep them going. That actually they will fly when actually they've received something from us, particularly when we've shared with them the word of God in the right way. In this evening's reading, a second letter to Timothy, Paul was writing to a young pastor, Timothy, and it was about gaining God's approval. He was urging young Timothy to be a good workman when it came to the word of God and the way that he used his words as well. And Timothy had this high calling to be diligent, to be zealous. So when they were, his work was inspected, he wouldn't be ashamed before God. Timothy's to remind people about the truth of God's word, that it shouldn't be tied up in confusion, but should be clear. Timothy's to stop any quarreling about words, because at the end of the day, that could harm those who are listening. And Timothy is to set an example by correctly handling the word of God. Now here we're talking about a young pastor. But I think it actually applies not just to ministers of the word, but I think it applies to us all. Now when we think about that word, correctly handling the word of God, actually in... uh, it's only found here and in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the same word. And uh, where it's found elsewhere, it's in Proverbs. Proverbs verse 3, verse 6. 
In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. And the word correctly handled is actually the same as make your paths straight. In Proverbs 11, verse 5, righteousness of the blameless makes their paths straight, but the wicked are brought down by their wickedness. Now, we're not sure what Paul was referring to here, but in a sense, it it has to do with perhaps the same sort of uh, straight line that a a stonemason would cut, or someone ploughing a field. Or a road builder. Remember the Roman roads that were straight. But tent makers would make sure the tent is up straight. It's that sort of word. In other words, paying attention to the detail, correctly handling it in a way that it's precise. And that's how we're taught to handle the word of God. The preacher and the teacher who uses the word correctly will build their church in the way God wants it to be built. That's why I think the tent maker illustration is quite helpful about putting up something that is good, but also built upon a firm foundation. That's where we tie in with Jesus' words about building on the rock and not on the sand. The words to be handled correctly, with care, with a sense of awe. Wonder when you read your Bible whether you have that sense of awe. We can get so familiar with our Bibles, can't we? Especially if we use them a lot, which I hope you do. But this is God's word to us. Generations have been reading it, feeding it. It's been actually enabling them to grow. And we should have that sense of awe, a familiarity with it, a love of it but also that sense of awe. And it's not an ordnance survey map where, as you read it, it gives you every single detail of how to live your lives so that when you want to know whether to have white bread or brown bread when you're having your breakfast in the morning, it will tell you. That's not what the Bible's all about. It's a compass that, as we read the whole, it points us in the right direction. And we need to read it as a whole. And that's partly what it means about correctly handling it. The Bible is a library of books which enables us to discern what God is saying to us and to the church. And we need to read the detail and wrestle with it, but we need to get that overall picture of what is God's heart, what is God saying, how has he been speaking to his church over the generations, which is the direction that we should be heading in, what is the path to follow. And that path is determined for us, not in detail, but that direction. Jesus makes this clear, enter through the narrow gate, For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. I remember the Reverend Dr. Donald English giving an illustration about this passage, and I've never forgotten it because uh, uh, it was a a time when I was just about to take a flight, and uh, he was saying that actually when he flies on a big aircraft... He wants the pilot 
to play to the rules. He wants the pilot to follow the air corridor which is mapped out for him to get to his direction. And the pilot will be given a very precise route. You don't just get into a jumbo jet and say, oh, I think we'll fly around here, we'll do the loop the loop here and we'll, we'll go over here because it's a serious business flying that many people. You have to pay attention to how much fuel you've got, what the weather conditions are like, and they will map out a corridor. And if you look up into the sky, you can see there is a corridor. It's like a traffic jam, isn't it, coming into London? There is a corridor to follow. It is a narrow flight path. And that's for a reason. Because we don't want accidents. We don't want people going freestyle and just going wherever they want. It would be chaos in our skies. And so therefore, we need to remember that actually there are many paths that God will set us, but he will set us a path. It's not so narrow. There is a little bit leeway within it so that we can be ourselves within it. But there is a determined path that we need to follow. Otherwise, we reap the consequences. And the overriding factor in that path is the path of love. The path of love. And God's word matters in actually showing us the way. Don't be like the person who has a gym membership but never goes to the gym. We have a Bible but we never read it. Or the person who has a library ticket but never reads any books in the library. Or the person who has a musical instrument but never plays the tune. Don't be like the person who talks about football all the time, is an ardent fan and owns a pair of football boots, but will never play a game and will never train to be fit enough to play. As Christians, we're called to wrestle with the Word of God, to know the Word of God, to read the Word of God, to actually discern what God is saying to us as individuals, but also as a church. And that is different from taking every verse literally. Uh, You all know about uh, the thing that somebody was seeking direction, and uh, they were trying to find exactly uh, what they should do, and they'd opened the Bible, and they flicked it through, and they put the finger down, and it said, and Judas went and hanged himself. And they thought, oh, it can't be right. So they flicked through again. They went and put on the finger and it said, and go and do likewise. (laughs) That's not how we use the Bible, yet many people do. That's not correctly handling the word of God. It's about actually understanding the context of the passages. Understanding Jesus' Jewish nature. And we can only do that together as we learn how to use the book, and as we share what we've learned with other people, don't be sloppy workers when it comes to the Bible. We need to actually work at it. And there's always room for improvement. And there's a world of difference between not knowing something and being careless with what we know. I will be the first to tell you there is a lot in the Bible that I still wrestle with. 
I'm hopeless at remembering things in the Bible. I have to look things up. And I'm sure I could do better, and I need to be more familiar and to get to grips with it. But there's a difference between having more to learn than being careless with what we do know and actually treating the Bible carelessly in that way. It can be a slippery slope. Paul was saying sloppy workers may also handle God's word deceitfully, sometimes making it say what they want it to say. I think this is a danger for us as Christians as well, when we're trying to win an argument, when we are trying to impress somebody. In churches, unfortunately, I think people can use the Bible for ill gain. We need to look at what it is saying to us, really saying, not what we want it to say. Don't manipulate it for the church's benefit, because it's there to speak truth, not to be mishandled. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. If we use the word of God correctly, it will be critical of ourselves. It won't always say what we want it to say. And so an approved, diligent worker studies the word of God, seeks to apply it to our own lives, shuns godless chatter. I don't know whether that struck you when it was read. I don't think this just means godless chatter in actually using the Bible in uh, an incorrect way. I think it also means when we move into the realm of gossip, And one of the things perhaps we need to pick each other up on is when our chatter becomes godless rather than God-centered. When we perhaps speak about people in a derogatory way, in a way that we wouldn't to their face. Because the word of truth should bring about truth within us. And we should be transparent What you see is what you get, and we shouldn't be deceitful. So I want to ask the question, are you diligent, or do you have a tendency to be sloppy? Do you try to correctly handle the word of God? Discussion and debate about the Bible is really good. But one of the things Paul was encouraging us to be careful of is not to be negative about the Bible in a way that might have a negative effect on a non-Christian. There is a time and a place for us to wrestle with truth together, but there are some things that actually people can know at first instance without always seeing the negative side of Christians arguing with one another. We sometimes need to unite with the simple things that Jesus has taught us, which are there for all to see and all agree with, rather than some of the things that we feel particularly passionate about, perhaps moral arguments or whatever, that everybody looks at and says, well, they're for 
always arguing about homosexuality. That's all that the Bible's about. There's an awful lot more in the Bible about money, about greed, about all uh, social justice uh, and other personal behaviour. That doesn't mean we don't have to talk about serious things, but let's not always talk about things so that people just hear a negative Bible. I think the Bible asks big questions of us, but actually has a very positive message for our world. Are we a person of integrity, a guardian of truth? There's a danger that we let the world drive our agenda rather than protecting the truth that is there for us. Paul compared uh, um, false doctrine to gangrene, which eats away. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenius and Philitus. Uh, Gangrene spreads, it infects, it kills, and so does false doctrine. And we need to be working together to make sure our doctrine is good, not to wander from truth. There was uh, some words about this passage which were actually written by um, uh, Bishop Tom Wright. And he said, instead of pop, uh, speculation, Paul gives straightforward, uh, sorry, Paul gives straightforward almost proverbial rules of thumb which anyone can get hold of. These are part of the firm foundation that all Christians should be be prepared to build on. Faced with uncertainty about who we really are, the uncertainty which gripped many in the ancient world, as it does in our own day, we can rely on God's knowledge of us. Faced with moral chaos, which was likewise a feature of Paul's world as much as ours, we can get our bearings from straightforward commandments. If we are going to take the Lord's name on our lips and claim him as our Lord, we have no choice but to leave behind, however painful it may be, all kinds of wickedness and injustice. No need to wrangle about words. Just be clear, just a clear commandment, a clear promise, a clear call to God's people to stand firm, to build on the rock, and to live in love. I find those words sum up for me what that passage is all about. And I want to encourage you today, we've just had a prayer vigil that Martin was saying uh, he found very, very moving. I think another moving thing for a church is not just praying, but when we discuss and explore the Bible together. We have a lot of people in disciple. We have a lot of people in Bible studies. And if you're not part of one, I would encourage you to be part of one, to get to know your Bibles better and not leave it just to ministers, local preachers, to handle the word of God correctly. Because the church should be discerning whether the message you're hearing from the pulpit is the truth or not. We all need to handle God's word correctly. Jesus' words are very challenging. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name 
and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I don't want that to be said of me. Martin this morning was very complimentary about the fact that he didn't think I was a sloppy person. (laughs) Thank you, Martin. (laughs) But I do think attention to detail is important. And I think it should apply. I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching uh, to you. I want to be able to hear that word that Paul says to Timothy. God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. And sometimes, perhaps, sloppiness can be a form of wickedness. Amen.